So uh, as we get started today, we are uh, still in this series on Ephesians. And we've said as way of, as way of uh, introduction or backdrop to this book called Ephesians, the writer is writing from prison. He's writing from prison. It's not a place of stability. It's not a place of power. And he's writing to a group of people that live on the west coast of Asia Minor. It's a little port city. And there are uh, several little churches, perhaps the size of this one, in different areas there, and a group called Ephesus, um, Ephesians. So he's writing to this group of people. And uh, we've looked back at chapter 1, and chapter 1 reminded them of who they are because they're really struggling with their identity. Um, And in chapter 2, he reminded them who they were. And now in chapter 3, we get to this chapter 3 here, and he's giving them this prayer And I hope you've read this prayer. If you haven't read this prayer, it it is one of the most powerful prayers penned ever. And this writer is writing this prayer and praying this prayer for this same group that he's writing to. I've prayed this prayer several times for you all. I prayed this prayer uh, for myself. And I know today we're going to find deep encouragement from this prayer. So the title of what we're talking about today is Power Through Prayer. Power. And again, the writer is writing to a group of people that weren't experiencing power. They weren't experiencing it politically. They weren't experiencing it socially, intellectually, economically. But he wanted to encourage them that there's power. And I'm going to list three things today about that power. The first one is, uh, and they're all printed right here for you, but it's power to bear the unbearable. The things that you and I are going through that just feel and literally are unbearable. And then the second one is a power to know the unlimited love of Christ. What seems unknowable. We're going to be given a power to to do that. And the last one is a power to do the unthinkable. Things that you never imagined you doing. (laughs) Things that you never imagined God doing in you. So that's the power through prayer that, that we're going to talk about. Let's, let's start by reading it here. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. He writes saying, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Perhaps just take a deep breath. Just breathe in. Breathe back out. Father, we 
want to be still right now as maybe our thoughts, our to-do lists, our worry lists, our wish list are just going in a million different directions, a million miles per hour. We want to sit still. We want you to speak to us through this prayer and reveal to us this power that's given to us because of who you are and because of who we are in you. So, Father, we come today asking you to do only what you could do. And we pray it in the name, again, of King Jesus. Amen. Places of power. Places of power. We mentioned that the group that he's writing to is not experiencing power politically. They're not experiencing it socially, economically. Places of power, you may think of the White House You may think of the FIDI right here in San Francisco. You may think of the social media platform. You may or may not be thinking of your own bank account. Um, Places of power. Think about that. Be thinking about what that is, where that is, and why that is, and how that is what it is. Paul, our writer, is introducing the ultimate place of power is prayer. That's maybe new (laughs) to even begin to think about power as a place of prayer. Verse 14, he says, if you look at this with me, verse 14, Paul is saying, for this reason I kneel, I bow before the Father who's in heaven. He's not in the White House, he's not in the Fidei, he's not here, he's not there. Our Father, he's in heaven. And it's for this reason, basically, chapters 1 through 3, Paul has been piling up one on top of the other, all of these superlatives of your identity, who you are. You have a stability. You have a significance. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're chosen. You've been predestined. All of these things refer back to chapters 1 and 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow. For this reason, I kneel. Notice the motive of prayer. God, for all of who you are, for all that you've done, for all that you've established, that's why I pray. I don't pray out of tradition. I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I want to express gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done here. This is a place of power. He Notice notice in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, this is an unspeakable power, This world doesn't really know of and may not even identify with. But our writer again is saying, this is the place of power, God's glorious riches. And if you'll remember in chapter 1, he says that you've been seated in that place. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing because of God's grace. God's glorious riches, his grace has been poured out on you and keeps being poured out on you again and again and again. So I just wanna, I want you to notice with me the posture of prayer. It's a heart, it's a soul that says, I'm in need. I'm in need. I, I don't have it together. I, I don't know the answer. I'm not a picture of the final product. I need you, God. And for this reason, I bow. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, he's saying there. This community needed reminders. This community that he's writing to needed reminders. Hey, it's not to the God of, God of Artemis that, that you're praying to from which you're going to gather, gain strength and identity. 
That's not where you're going to get your identity from. It's not through your popularity. It's not through your success. It's not through your promotions. It's not through how much you accomplish. It's because of what Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. And now that has been credited to you as a gift, a free gift. It's called grace. It's called gospel. It's called good news. He's speaking to this community. I'm speaking to us right now. God's speaking to us right now that we need that same news. We are a community like that that need to remember who we are in God. To not be segregated because of our differences. We look a lot different from each other, all of us. And I want to keep celebrating that. I want to keep celebrating that and saying that is exactly what God wants for us as a diverse group and family and people. We're not gathering because we're all in uh, this club or that club, but it's the gospel. It's this good news that's gathering us together. As God begins to have different type folks gather together in the name of Christ. So there's a power to bear the unbearable. Verse 16, he says, Out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So just take those words real slowly as you kind of look at this. And as you're maybe later on in the week uh, reading and praying and studying your Bible. I mean, that's what we're wanting to do is read it slowly. Take, Take it in a little bit. Meditate on it. Press pause. Ask God, what does this mean? What is it saying? What is this revealing about God's character? What is this revealing about my need? And God, how do you want to speak to me? That's kind of a normal template for a morning or evening devotional that you may have. So right here it says that we're being strengthened. Now this is not, Paul is not saying, go strengthen yourself. Go eat the right stuff. Go read all the great help books. Just please hurry up. Strengthen yourselves. I'm so frustrated with you. Rather, he's saying that we're being strengthened. And what that means is there's a different source coming in to strengthen you. A lot of times, maybe when we're, when we're weak and we're looking to some source, maybe it's Netflix or maybe it's this or that or the other, but, but there's something so much more profound and deep and sustainable. He says, you're being strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the next little phrase here. This is so profound because... And why it's so profound is he's saying this is where the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit lives in your inner being, which may sound weird and awkward and obnoxious, but God is present, not just in the emotional realm or in the spiritual realm, but by the Holy Spirit is present in your inner being. And verse 17 mentions exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing there. He says that may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the Holy Spirit's job and role to be revealing more and more and more truth. To be liberating me and you more and more and more as he reveals more and more truth to us. Revealing more and more and more about Jesus in your inner being. To remind you who Jesus is. To remind you who you are. And God has given us strength to bear the unbearable. Literally, things right now that you might be going through that seem unbearable. Hardships, suffering, 
relationships, doubts, confusion, workaholism, injustice. All of these things seem incredibly uh, overbearing. They make us almost look down in shame of, oh, what am I to do? And I think the application for us here is just to admit, I need help. I need your power. I need your strength, Father God, to empower me, to strengthen me in my inner being, to bear what seems unbearable. It's, it's, this is where uh, our trust is transferred from placing trust and dependence on our own abilities, our own resources, our own intellect, our own bank account, our own networking, our own fill-in-the-blank. This is where transfer trust, transfer of trust goes from that to, God, you know. You know where I need to be. You know what I need to do. And I'm asking you, I need your strength this day. Because this relationship seems unbearable. This job seems like something I didn't sign up for. It's unbearable. This racism, this classism, this system is absolutely unbearable. God, I need your strength in my inner being to be at peace with who you are and who I am in this time, right now. And I don't know about you, but I meet so many people here in the city and have such great conversations. And even though all the different stories that I hear are unique and different, there is a similarity in, I would say, all of these stories. We're all exhausted. We're all tired. Yeah, we're all exhausted and we're all tired. And the the promise of Jesus, listen to this promise in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. And if you know what I'm about to read, you love it, you can't wait to hear it. If If you've never heard this before, just listen to this. Jesus says, come to me, speaking of himself. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the application for me and for you, to bear the unbearable. Jesus, I don't understand it, but I'm, but I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you right now. Today's a new day, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm headed off to the workplace again. I'm in that argument with that person again. I can't believe it. Here we are again. Whatever challenge that you're going through and what seems unbearable, I'm coming to you again. Oh, Christ, I want to find rest for my soul in you. Lead me. Lead me forward. The second thing is a power to know the... This one's, this one's, like, I, this one's my favorite. Power to know the unlimited love of Christ. Look at this. He's saying in verse 17, I pray that you, being rooted and established and loved. Once again, he's, he's being so specific again here to remind you that your identity has a stability to it. It's not about how much you weigh. It's not about what you look like. It's not about what clothes we're wearing, where we came from, where we're going, how old we are, how young we are, what type of music we listen to, who we hang out with. He's saying there's something deeper about your identity and your stability. He says that you, follower of Jesus, you've been rooted 
and established in God's love. And what he wants you to do and me to do is to build your life on that. Build your life on that stability. Remember the parable that Jesus gives here of the two different types of soils or foundations that a house could potentially be built upon? And the illustration is so powerful, but I'll review it. He says there in Matthew chapter 7 that uh, rain, winds, floods are going to come. It's called life. Here they come. Life is coming. It's coming full steam ahead. And the house that's built on the solid rock, who is Jesus, it can withstand that you've been rooted and established. Your foundation goes deep into the bedrock of Christ. Suffering comes, hardship comes, but you're rooted, you're established. That's who you are. Compared with the house that's built upon sand, i.e. my accomplishments, your accomplishments, what you think about me, what I think about you, our reputation, fleeting pleasures, one or the other, all of that is sand. He's saying, regarding your identity and my identity. It's sand. Therefore, when the storms come, when the winds come, it will have a catastrophic crash, he says in Matthew 7. Therefore, he's praying. Remember, this is a prayer. That's the whole context of this Ephesians 3. Since all that is true about us, he's praying. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp This word grasp means to hold. It means to latch hold of. It means hold on tightly to. And essentially it means the tentacles of your heart and soul grabbing hold of and latching hold of, grasping, trusting. And what is it? What is it that God wants us to grasp? I love this. He wants you and I to grasp how wide How long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? How do you measure that sort of thing? I mean, in your industry and this industry and whatever industry that you and I find ourselves in working in, there are metrics, are there not? We have metrics for success. We gauge things. Or if you like making chocolate chip cookies, you take a cup. You need that cup to measure it. And I reference that because because I think of Psalm 23 where he says, my cup overflows. God, through Jesus, your love is so deep, so wide, so long, so high, this cup, we can't even use it to measure it. We can't even use it. It overflows, Psalm 23 says. And building a building, a Salesforce tower or or, or whatever. And I hope you've experienced the, the beautiful garden that's, right near the Salesforce Tower. Perhaps, is it like 30 feet up in the air? This like five acres worth of um, public space. It's beautiful. Maybe today is a great day to go and enjoy that. But you need a tape measure, right, to measure this thing. Like how, like how high is it? How deep should it go? And how far reaching should it be? And like those are calculations. You can't do that with God's love. You can't measure it with a tape measure. In fact, the psalmist in... Chapter 108 says, God's love is higher than the heavens. Like, we can't even imagine it. Even the psalmist as a human being is trying to put language around, words around this love of God to measure it. Or a watch, 
I wear one of these whenever I run to gauge how far behind the group I am and those kind of things. And I'm on pace and, and all of that. But a watch for any of us, young or old, it helps us gauge and measure things. And the psalmist in 103, Psalm 103 says, God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. Didn't have a beginning. In the very essence of God's identity, God wasn't thought up. He wasn't made. He wasn't created. And in God's very essence is love from the beginning, whatever that means, to everlasting, whatever that means. The application for this one regarding the power to know the unlimited love of Christ is to agree with the psalmist in Psalm 139 that says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't even attain it, he says. Notice the humility there of the psalmist to say, God, I want to know your love in that way. I want to experience it in that way. And when I dare think about it and try to, try to measure it and try, and try to like receive it, it's beyond what I can even imagine. So that creates in you a confidence. Do you see? It creates in you a confidence that in spite of me being tempted to think that God's not loving me right now in whatever situation I might be in, this being rooted and established in this deep, high, long forever loving God, being established in that increases my confidence to know, oh yeah, God, it feels like you're not here with me right now. And that's legitimate. That's just honesty from our own humanity. It feels like you've gone asleep because of classism, racism, injustice, the system. It it, it feels like it. But there's confidence knowing that God is not asleep. God is at work. It also creates in you and me a humility in God's love where this power that's now being unleashed inside of you and me and others, believers around the world throughout all of time, this power that's being unleashed creates a humility in you and I to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ regarding sin in your life, regarding ways in which, pathways in which God is really wanting so much more for you and me. We settle, we choose, we... But the Lordship of Christ would be that power coming through that he wants for us. And lastly, the power to do the unthinkable. Power to do the unthinkable. Verse 20 He says now to him, and by the way here, uh, lest we forget, Paul is not saying that this is a rah-rah-rah-rah-rah-rah prayer or a rah-rah-rah-rah-rah talk for you to go do the unthinkable. There are ways in which God will be working his grace in us and consequently through us that will be unimaginable and unthinkable. That's true. That's true. We can't minimize that. But in context, verse 20 Paul is being sure that this is a doxology. This is a lyric of praise unto God. Now to him, now to God. That means, God, you're about to get some credit. God, we're about to applause. It's coming. Get ready. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. 
Do you remember last week in our open mic time how Lauren shared that she wrote her rent check to her landlord and her landlord ripped it up and said, um, you don't have to pay rent this month. That's unthinkable. Are you all awake and alive and alert right now this morning living in San Francisco that your landlord would literally tear up your check? And we were all like, can you talk to my landlord? Like, like <laughs> something was amazing there. But the point here in Paul saying this about, about the unimaginable, the unthinkable happening to us is whereby God does something so mysterious, so unthinkable. And that's where right now, in mining your little thinking process and soul-searching process, we need to apply this. You need to be thinking about your situation tomorrow at work or in a relationship or a challenge that you're going through or a hardship that God, do the unthinkable. Do the unthinkable. I won't be a fool for asking you to do the unthinkable. It's not childish or immature to approach God with that sort of need. God honors that. God invites that. That's called humility. It's called belief, trust. This week, I, Caroline, my wife, going into pharmacist to get, get a prescription medication and getting there ready to pay what we would normally pay. And again, unthinkable somehow, it's like zero dollars. What? <laughs> what? How did that happen? And we, you're almost tempted in a situation like that to say, We'll do that tomorrow again, okay? Or do it again this way or that way. But to be reminded that God has a power to do what is unthinkable, that God is not dead. God is alive. The resurrected Christ is at work. Verse 21, he says, to God. Here's the ending of that doxology, by the way. To God be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. The word glory means fame. It means the weightiness of all of God's attributes. Again, we can't measure them because we said his love is limitless. But imagine trying to layer upon layer upon layer of all of God's attributes, the weight of all of that. Just who God really is. That's glory. That's fame. And he's saying in this prayer here, may God's fame, may his glory spread everywhere. Because he's worthy, as Juan was leading us in worship earlier. Says the phrase here, in the church. What this means is not in an institution, per se. It doesn't mean in a, in a building or a denomination, per se. It means in you, the church. We are the church. We are God's collective conglomerate, beautifully broken. Here we are. And his, um, his glory is being seen and carried out uh, in us. Ever so broken we are. And then that it's never ending. This parade of praise is, is, to, is to continue throughout all of time. Forever and ever. He says. It is happening. It will continue to happen. The story that is God's redemptive narrative throughout history will not fail. The bigger question is where are you and I? Where are you and I? So in conclusion, this power, this same power, same power that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. Romans, the same writer is writing a letter to a group there in Rome. 
And he mentions in chapter 6 and in chapter 8. And he goes quite eloquent in writing about it. Go back and read it. But he's talking about the power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, oh, that power, it lives in you. It lives in you. And then we look befuddled and we say, really, me? You don't know me. How could that power live inside of me? What does it want to do there? Because other people that have power in my life or other institutions, man, whenever they have power, they come to take my life away from me. They come to take my fun away. They come to place me in these categories. How could this person who has power seek to liberate me and love me like no one else has ever done or ever will do? How is that possible? Let this prayer just wash over you. Let this prayer that he's been praying here uh, reverberate over and over and over in our ears and in our minds so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he would give you everything that you need to bear the unbearable and to know the unlimited love of Christ and to do the unthinkable. By God's grace, let's pray for that. Father, we pray right now We enjoy these quiet moments right now as we want you to unleash this power. We want you to unleash this power that's not here to overtake us or to steal from us, but rather your presence, your power would liberate us. You would liberate us so so that we could keep on bearing what feels unbearable through the power of Christ so that we could keep on knowing the unlimited love of Christ, how high it is, how deep it is, how wide it is, and that we could keep on doing what seems unthinkable. So right now, as we prepare for receiving your grace through the Lord's Supper, and as our musicians will be playing beautifully to help us get into that mindset of of seeking you, God, speak to us. Have your way with us right now. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.